0: Welcome to The Front Row. My name is Jeff Fellenser. This podcast grew out of my sports business media class at the University of Southern California. I'm excited about bringing to you the stories of the journeys, the journeys of some of the most interesting, compelling, noteworthy newsmakers in the world of sports business and sports media. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you very much. Jeff, Phil, great to be here for, today. for allowing me in, in to in your, your presence. Home.
1: In your spectacular aura, that ability to project hope, dreams coming true, building networks, developing lives. And what I love about you, and what I love about what you do and where you do it, it represents and epitomizes all the things that I believe in stand for and try to live and that's the value of teachers the value of mentors and role models the value of being part of something bigger than you and then education and the team and it's just spectacular to be with you and when we talk about all the different things that have gone down I'm just so sorry, Jeff, that it's taken so long for us to get together to get this done. But
0: I got a lot going I'm, on. I'm grateful. I'm grateful you've allowed me into your home to well, I have slice a paradise, into your comfort zone, because I feel like it's you at your best. Like well, this, this is, is where we live. This is, this is, this is this our is home. You.
1: And uh, I'm going to have, have to excuse if, if Potter, the dog, races through. Potter doesn't bark, though. He's a service dog, and he uh, is partnered with Billy Lister, who's a... U.S. Paralympic athlete who lives here when he's not traveling the world. Fantastic. Uh, racing his bicycle. Fantastic. And so this is the prime bike racing season. He just got back from all kinds of international competitions. And then Lori, my wife, she's maybe just stirring by this point mm-hmm. of the day. Mm-hmm. And then Lori's parents are here. And Lori's sister, Betty, is here. so uh,
0: You have a great team here.
1: There's always a lot going on. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. you know, To, to have the parents I have... To grow up in San Diego, to be able to marry into Lori's family and how wonderful and spectacular and and the difference that all of that has made in my life. It's really given me the life that I have, the greatest life that anybody could ever
0: well, possibly dream of. It. I wanted to thank you for being the first guest on my first. new podcast. What's, What's the name of this podcast? It's called The Front Row. Front Row? I love The Front Row. And I called it that because I wanted a connection to my sports business media class, right. especially at USC, where you were a which guest I, four I've sp- years ago. Which spoken before. Fantastic, fantastic And there was T.J. Seimer one of his last columns.
1: It, it? It. Uh, I love T.J. Seimer. Yes. And I miss yes. him terribly. Yes. We need that voice. We need that that sense of perspective. We need that sense of of humorous cynicism to where the hope is the goal, but you have to keep your eyes wide open and your head on a swivel on a constant basis because there is a lot of craziness going craziness. on. Out there.
0: You're so right. Well I I feel like that And name. I think a lot of the
1: craziness comes from the the leadership and the, and the avenues that are bombarding us with values that I don't believe in. Mm-hmm. Because success in life comes from honor, truth, credibility, integrity, sacrifice, and discipline. And when any of those things are not involved, you don't have a chance for long-term success. I mean, you all that stuff leads to selfishness and greed and ultimately anger hatred and violence, and those are things that I want no part of.
0: Well, I, I, the idea of the front row has always meant a lot to me because I encourage the students in my classes to sit in the front row. I feel like it sends a message about their interest in learning, getting the most out of the time in the classroom, and it sends a great message to the professor. When I was a child
1: growing up with my red hair and my big nose, freckles, goofy, nerdy looking face, and horrendous speech impediment, and having a last name beginning with W, I was always assigned to, and being the tallest guy in the class, I was always assigned to a a seat in the back row, Mm. and it wasn't until I got to college at UCLA, I went to college at UCLA, and Conference of Champions, I was Mm -hmm. there from 70 through 74, and it was just the most incredible experience for me in my life, and so many of my dreams came true while I was there, but it was there that I was able to sit in the front row.
0: So that was my question is, where did you sit in your classrooms at UCLA, especially the larger ones?
1: Front row. Wow. Absolutely. We had some very large classrooms. And it was in the huge lecture halls when the professor was up on the podium. Right. And there was a stage and there was a big screen behind him. Then you want to sit back kind of where the Grateful Dead has their soundboard right Mm -hmm, now because mm -hmm. it's better visuals and better audio. And, but... When I go to concerts and when I go to lectures, when I have the choice of where I get to see where I get to sit, I love the front row. And it wasn't too long ago, just this past May, on the, the Paul Simon farewell tour at the Hollywood Bowl, that Lori and I we got to sit
0: in the very front row. Wow row. See it that's just, that's such a great experience. You can feel it. You're in the trenches. You can right. you can see the sweat or the spit. I mean it to me. I love seeing I love going to sporting well, events and sitting close. And these were reserved seats so yeah. that it was
1: uh, controlled and, and, and nice. We've spent a lifetime in the pit. The yeah. pit at the concerts and it's, you know where and at UCLA when we played there the the entire uh, north side of Pauley Pavilion was open seating for the students. And so they would camp out overnight and then they would open those doors and they would race it. And Coach Wooden would go out there and tell them, you children should not be sleeping out here. You should be home getting your rest and doing your homework <laughs> and, and, and taking good care of yourself. Yeah, but they wouldn't listen to him. They just loved our team. And that, you know, that fan base, the fan base that you have developed in your life the fan base that I have been a part of for a a lot of my life, and that we had uh, incredible fans uh, at the high school level here in San Diego at Helix, but then at UCLA, the first great college basketball fan base. And then the Portland Trail Blazers, the record-setting Blazer maniacs, just over-the-top. The Mm -hmm. The Celtics, just Mm -hmm. incredible. And then the Grateful Dead, and just how spectacular that fan base is, which continues uh, unabated today. It's it's just super. What John Mayer and O'Teal have meant, uh, the the new faces that have come in and joined, Bobby and Billy and Mickey and Jeff, and, and just the spirit and the drive and the healing optimism that you get when you go to a concert. Lori and I had the privilege of being on tour this summer, the last two weeks of the Grateful Dead tour uh, with the Gorge, Eugene, two in Shoreline, San Diego, Dodger Stadium, Albuquerque, and Boulder, two in Boulder, to close it out with the double finale. It was just so spectacular. Yeah, what was your your
0: best memory from that most recent trip? And tour.
1: I have learned. I'm 65 now, and I'm a completely different person than when I started chasing this big time dream. You know, I, I, as a child, I started, playing ba- I started playing basketball when I was eight years old, and, and my early dreams were just you know very narrow and very confined. And then, and then I found Chick Hearn, and mm-hmm. that totally changed my life, broadened the horizons. And then I got to play for John Wooden, which kept broadening everything. And then all these dreams coming true shattered along the way because my life has been one of spectacular meteoric climbs and rises to the top, uh, but then followed immediately by catastrophic health crises. And so one of the things that I've learned over the course of my life is to not rank, rate, or compare things, just enjoy them and just make the most out of that moment. And, And one of the brilliant things about having this life that I've had, is that, you know, my parents, greatest parents ever, my first coach, phenomenal coach. The best coach, really, that I ever had, because he made it fun. And he, it was just such a joyful experience to come and play ball every day. And then Chick. and, and then, That was Gordon? Uh, no, that was my high school coach. Gordon Nash was my high school, high school, yeah. my high school, high school coach. My, he was brilliant. But then my, my elementary school Rocky. coach, Rocky, yeah. who was just. Graciano, right? 59 years he volunteered at our elementary school every day. Every day for fifty-nine years, never took a penny. When he died a couple of years ago, richest guy I have ever known. I can't tell you if he knew anything about sports. Now that I'm sixty-five, yeah, but he knew life. Well Was it, somebody that
0: with it, it, your it, it, size though? Did did was it inevitable you were going to play like it? No, at because eight, did you? Well, you're going to play basketball. I was born stiff
1: you at eight because I, you know, there was no organization. There was no purpose in my life, and then I found sport. I grew up in a in a Non-athletic family. My parents are just have zero interest in sports. I mean, that's just like as far from their lives yeah. a, a life, a world of sports and participation. That wasn't
0: their deal. But your brother Bruce was athletic. Bruce
1: and I uh, were, both went to UCLA. and yeah. he was a year ahead of me, and he was a, a very fantastic player. Yeah. Uh, football player. And the U- Coach Wooden wanted him on the basketball team too, but Coach uh, but Bruce thought that Coach just wanted him to be on the team to be the enforcer. Uh. And Bruce is a very gregarious and outgoing guy with a, a, a magnificent social life.
0: And he was about 265, as I recall. He weighed 300 in high
1: school. and he, well,
0: When he didn't have 300 pounders. That, no, that, now, he, every no, diamond doesn't.
1: He was a big offensive lineman. And he was tough and fierce and, uh, and, and had uh, zero qualms uh, and no restraints or no barriers, no hesitation to level the other guys on the other team. If you know he was he was Maurice Lucas before Maurice yeah, Lucas came yeah. along. But but Bruce looked at the team and he said, look, you guys already have Swen Nader. You don't need me on the team. And Bruce uh, he liked to go to the games and uh, sit in the crowd and meet all the new students coming in.
0: So he but he was athletic at a at a young age, was oh, he not? Yes. So well, so you followed are, in his footsteps in the sense.
1: Right. We both had this coach, uh, Rocky, uh. who Taught us about the joy of life. And one of the things that we would learn over the course of now 65 years is how to answer questions. And I got a lot of that from John Wooden. And John Wooden maybe was asked more questions than anybody I've ever known. Now, you know, Bob Dylan, Jerry Garcia in that same class too. But, you know, they would come at John Wooden with all kinds of questions. And to be able to listen to his answers, and has his answers changed over the years. And so parents, teachers, coaches, they would come to him and they would say, Coach, what do I do? How do I teach? How do I coach? And by the end, his answer was this. It's not how or what you teach, it's who the teachers are themselves. And he lived by all these things that he said, which which were uh, uh, truly simplistic in their repetition right but the implementation is impossible
0: well I I it's a tribute to him every week in my class my students know it I didn't know whether at first they would thought would think it's corny or not but I'll tell you the feedback has been incredible over the years I have my weekly woodens right I do a weekly observation reflection about life and I always start week one with the seven point creed Given to him by his father, I feel like his Joshua. father, Joshua Hugh, wouldn't deserves the credit for getting that in the hands of his young son, John. Make and, each day your masterpiece. Drink deeply favorite. from
1: all sources of knowledge. Yeah. Make friendship a fine art. Prepare for the tough times that are sure to come. And then three that I can't and even give. Remember. Give thanks
0: for for be grateful. Uh, be grateful for your blessings and. And so I start with that. The other one I really like uh, among many I like, I like what he says about character. Character oh, versus yeah. reputation. Character is what you really are, reputation is what people takes talent say to you get are. to
1: the top, takes character to stay there.
0: You know, because there's yeah. so much people today have there's such an emphasis on wanting to be liked, go for the likes, go for the follows, right. and right. your peer groups, college kids, fraternities, sororities, sports teams, and it's being someone that will be liked. And versus, you know what? what's most important is what's here. And I think it's an important in your heart for as, them. You,
1: as you tap your chest, remember, this is not television. <laughs> so this is but I think uh, it's important that they
0: realize well, this is where, it, this is where it counts. And one inside. of the
1: things that I always try to encourage people who ask me questions is how do we get there? What do we do? I always uh, tell the, the, the dreamer, the seeker, or the parent who is so concerned about their, little Jeff Mm -hmm. or little Billy, I always say, look, your job, your challenge is to seek, find, and learn from master teachers. And I've been so lucky in my life in that so many different of these great teachers have come in, including three right now in my life who are very prominent, Stan Morrison and then George Raveling and Bill McMorrow. And so these are guys who I learn every day from Uh, from their teachings from their proclamations but what i really learned from them is the 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 sense of curiosity and the sense of honor and dignity and class and professionalism and respect and you know if if somehow some way we could get Bigger platforms for Bill McMorrow of Kennedy Wilson, George Raveling of USC and Nike in the Basketball Hall of Fame, and Stan Morrison, just the Hall of Fame of life. It's incredible! And, and your speech so... at the California Sports Hall of Fame last June, June twenty sixth, I believe it was. I'm not, maybe it was twenty fifth. Yeah. I don't know. It was late June. Yeah. Out at Morongo, that was just such a classic speech, and we just well, Stan you. is so fortunate to have a friend like you and the way you always show up for him because he's got a lot of things going on yeah Yeah.
0: well Stan means so much to so many people and he gives of himself every day he's on 28 boards He, he just I don't know where he finds the time
1: so let's talk about the Hall of Fame for a second yeah, because all, yeah. all those people are in the Hall of Fame, right. uh, McMorrow and Raveling and Morrison, and, and the Hall of Fame is reserved for people who make history, people who change history, yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. what's happening at USC right now. Uh, so much of it positive. Yes, there's negatives, but whenever you have a large group of people, there's always going to be some aspects of failure, some aspects of catastrophe, some aspects of just wrong-headed behavior. Yeah, But what is happening at USC right now is so spectacular. And the way that that whole area and neighborhood has just been revitalized and the, and the quality of the facilities, which are such a platform and stage for the quality of the people who are coming through there on a constant basis and all the different programs and all the different innovation and the education and the leadership. It, Dreams do come true. And my dream for the Conference of Champions is that every school gets to that level, mm-hmm. to that level. Mm-hmm. And, and then where it spreads to the community mm-hmm. and spreads to all the different programs, whether it be dance, arts, science, music, sports, and you know, it, it's there. Yeah, It's there. That the challenge now is for the people who are running the show. Uh, in the athletic department, say Lin Swan, yeah. you know, to get the, all, all the programs to the point where there is never an empty seat, yeah. never yeah. an empty seat, because because the quality of the performance that people they demand to be in that front row, right. because that separation between the front row and being on the stage. Did, did you ever see the movie Twenty Feet from Stardom? Which is about the no. backup singers, which is a oh, fabulous, fabulous movie. And, yeah. uh, it, it, but it, it, it has such uh, grander uh, implications. That whole story, which is it's basically the story of the people who support right. the lead actor, the right. lead performer. And oh, we've got a new lead performer in Los Angeles right now, and LeBron
0: James. Yes, it we do. Be yes, we do. So speaking of that. Um, I mean, how in the world is Luke going to make that all work?
1: I don't speak for Luke. I'll talk a little bit about him. Yeah, yeah. But I, I don't speak for Luke. Has he, have he's you? His and own he, man. he discussed. I, what he's facing. Luke was born in this house, and on the day that he was born, March twenty-eighth, nineteen eighty, Maurice Lucas, his namesake, showed up here at the house, wow. and uh, bearing gifts. And the gift was a big picture, big frame picture of himself, Maurice Lucas, in full rage, action, and glory, going for it like nobody else ever could. And he inscribed that picture to little Luke. And he said, Hey, to make it in this world, you gotta be tough. Yeah. Big Luke. But what a dream, what a what an opportunity. You know, if you're a coach. And all of a sudden, you know, you're going along. And, and, and things have gone well in Luke Walton's life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he grew up here. He had Greg Lee as a real mentor and coach as a, as a very young child. I was always in the hospital and always on crutches. And I couldn't really fulfill that role. And not that I really wanted to be the coach. I wanted to be their dad and tell him that I love yeah. him. And but uh, then he uh, had a tremendous high school coach, uh, uh, Jim Tomey, at University High School over here in the uh, grounds of USD, just 10 minutes from here. And then he went to Arizona, and played the team team coach. Lou L- L- Olson, yeah. who was the 21st century version of John Wooden. And then he gets drafted by the Lakers and he plays for Phil Jackson and he's got Jerry West there and he's right. got uh, J- uh, Jerry Buss and he's got Magic and Shaq and, and, and Kobe and Carl Malone and Gary Payton and all these guys. And uh, and then he, his first coaching job, he goes up to the Warriors to work with Steve so, Kerr. And then Steve gets sick and he gets to coach you know the best team
0: and the best players in the world today. Look how many great basketball cultures he was in. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, where, where where he could really draw and shape his own so, self as a coach. So the
1: one who has the most uh, of, the, of that great culture in the background, I've got a, a great uh, uh, history and, and resume of those coaches. Right. But, but, but Pat Riley, he has a spectacular background in terms of all the people that he learned from and lived with and, and worked for. Uh, and Pat has just done a remarkable job, but... Uh, Luke is in the same situation right now, 38 years old, as Pat Riley was when he got his first chance, as Phil Jackson was when he got his first chance, as Greg Popovich, as Mike Krzyzewski, as John Calipari. All these guys, you know, you get that chance early, and it's what you do with that with that opportunity. Mm -hmm, And so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, to be able to coach LeBron James, who was so smart and so brilliant and so dedicated and so determined and plays to win and he's in fantastic physical shape and an unparalleled skill level and he just always does everything right on and off the court he's a fantastic player and you get to be that guy's coach right I mean imagine what it was like for John Wooden when he got to coach Kareem Abdul-Jabbar right you know, right or imagine, Bill Walton well I, mean, that, it, I it, was coach it, Wooden's it, worst nightmare wow. he would have he would have uh, he would have. Uh, rethought his offer of a scholarship to me if he knew how it would have played out. I
0: I I, mean, I, 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 I don't I don't think so. And yeah. and and, and evidenced to me by the by the closeness and the love and the and the friendship that you built the great relationship after.
1: But that's because he was just so nice and he was so kind and so forgiving and so patient. I mean I was I drove a guy to an early grave in 99. Because I didn't know what I had. I thought I thought that the life I had, which was perfect growing Mm up, I thought everybody had that. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that other people didn't have great families, didn't have great support systems, didn't go to great schools, didn't have great teachers, didn't have great coaches, didn't have... Great home to go to. Didn't have Mm -hmm. all the advantages that I... We had nothing in terms of um, material... Possessions. I mean, my parents both worked, and we, you know, it was paycheck to paycheck. But we had everything. I mean, right. San Diego, and I yeah. had a basketball, books, a bicycle, a skateboard, uh, a radio. I mean, that's it yeah. was just the most perfect life. And then I get to UCLA, and I was just just a, the natural progression. Right. I thought of everybody's life. Yeah. That's what happened in life. And then I joined the NBA when I was 21 and everything changed and it was, it was uh, just a, an eye-opening experience and I realized immediately that I had blown it. And so I spent the rest of my life uh, uh, trying to make it up to Coach Wooden, but also I made the conscious decision to quit
0: causing him grief and consternation. So going back to Luke, the opportunity to coach right. LeBron James. Can you coach LeBron Absolutely. James, a well, player of that magnitude, that's larger than life? Arguably, the greatest player that's well, ever played. He's one, he's one of them. Um, can you? I mean, coaches traditionally you hear that. Hey, it's my way or the highway. No. Yeah. Uh, look look what
1: look what Pat Riley did for LeBron James, and the the, the, the quantum leap forward that LeBron took in those four years in Miami. He, he was great going in, but he was a whole lot better going out. Mm-hmm. And that's what teaching, mm-hmm. is, what parenting, that's what leadership is all about. Make other people better. And that's what John Wooden was insistent on doing. Right. Phil Jackson was a master of that. Greg popish All those guys I've already listed. It's the same group all the time. That ability to be the human forklift, the human solar panel, to lift people up and put them in a better place, lift things up, put them in better spots, And then to 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 take all the natural energy and redirect it immediately into a positive direction, and and so you know the 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 challenge in 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 someone like LeBron's own life is to continue to improve, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly Mm -hmm. when you're already so great, Mm -hmm. and. You know, he, he, here's this guy who, who is just so wonderful and does everything and so smart and, and so kind and so generous and, and, and such a fabulous leader. But, you know, he, he's only 33 or 34 years old. Right. And, and so he's got, you know, uh, it's what he wants in life. And he doesn't appear to be having much trouble with motivation. Right. You know, he, he's a driven guy and fortunately his health has held up. And we hope that continues for a really, really long time. I think
0: another, an extra layer of motivation for him will be the idea that if he stays in the, in the condition that he is and he, his skill level, uh, I don't think will diminish significantly over the next few years, that there's a chance perhaps in a few years that he might get the chance to play in the NBA with his son, Bronny. Who starts really? high school. Uh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Has yeah, that never happened before? Well, has, has anybody I, ever played with their own child? The Griffies in baseball?
1: Ken? I, I don't know. and Ken I, Jr. I don't know anything about baseball.
0: Oh, no. yeah, yeah. No, no. I just But, but,
1: but in basketball? I mean it, I don't think it's playing ever with happened. your
0: son. Um no, I think that would be I think that would be a first. But
1: I thought you were gonna say he was gonna break all Kareem's records. No,
0: I, I think and, even more the idea that
1: and that's a real possibility. But it, yeah. Carl Malone was going to do it and Carl right. got hurt. Yeah. Kobe was going to do it and then Kobe got hurt. But do,
0: do you think that the players will look to Luke to guide them and LeBron is just a very significant piece as a teammate um everything
1: is collaboration yeah. in life and th- they will have to work it out if it's going it, to there's never been a great team, a great player, a great organization, a great company, without a great leader. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. that leader can be in a number of different positions. And the Lakers, over the course of the years, have had many of them, from Jerry Buss, the greatest owner ever, to Chick Hearn, the greatest broadcaster ever, to Jerry West, as great a general manager and, and, and uh, a front office, behind-the-scenes executive as they ever had. Evaluator Man- of talent. Incredible. Magic Johnson, yeah. Kareem, you know, you know, and all these... It, Phenomenal personalities and leaders, and Shaq, and, and, yeah. Shaq. and, and so uh, w- when you know it, it, this comes back to the to the same thing we started at the top was that group success, the the, the dynamic of a team is always based on sacrifice and discipline, and LeBron has always done that, yeah. and so the challenge now is for Luke, yeah. and so we. Uh, we, we want the best. We love Luke, and we're very proud, and we're very happy. And we want uh, nothing but the best.
0: Do you expect that you'll have conversations during the course of the years? Luke's Luke someone that that seeks input well, from I know those around him a, like oh, yourself? Yes.
1: Not from me. I'm his dad. I just tell him I love him.
0: One of the 50 greatest players in the history well, of the game. I mean, that's I, a pretty good resource to have.
1: I was lucky. I just want what's best for Luke. And I just... Just keep telling them that I love him.
0: Did you see him as a coach when he was coming up as a player? Did you think to yourself? Well,
1: I just saw him as a, as a very nice young man, and he was a very. You know, we have four sons and right. nine grandchildren, and more coming with every phone call, which is fantastic for us. But uh, we're, uh, I think the the one of the things that we're that Lori and I are most proud of is that all four of the children seemed to like each other and seemed to be happy for each other's success. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that that was, you know, what the, these lessons of life that keep circling back on top of each other from all these influences. My parents, Rocky, Chick, John Wooden, Grateful Dead, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, John Fogarty, all these guys. And, you know, John Wooden... At the end of the day, even at ninety nine, he was a happy dude, and he 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 you he, know, he wasn't a whiner, he no. wasn't a complainer, he wasn't cynical, he wasn't bitter, he wasn't angry, he was happy, and he was and at the end and this comes back to your front row or being on stage, you know when when you're in the front row you you that that's a support role that's where you're either learning or you're cheering or you're encouraging and. I love it as a as a public speaker myself. I love the people sit in the front row, yeah. and and I and I love it when they're looking right at me and they're listening to me, and I can see them following and trying to figure out where I'm trying to get to. Yeah, yeah. And you know, he, here was uh, he, he, you know, he, here was John Wooden, that as he changed from being the on stage performer to being in the front row, and to being the observer, being the coach. And he was, he was happy at the end of the day.
0: I, I always and, felt like I was in the front row whenever I would make a trip what, to what I called the Mecca on Margate. Yeah.
1: We called it the mansion on Marguerite. <laughs> <laughs>
0: modest, <laughs> modest home, but it was his home. It was a home, condo on the second floor,
1: on, on, on the first and a half floor. Facing the alley. alley. Where the postman would come up and throw the bags up over the railing on the deck. It
0: was unbelievable. <laughs> One day I was there with a friend. I always tried to bring a friend with me. I made a lot of trips really? there. Oh, and the phone rang and and he said, oh, hello, yes, uh-huh, uh-huh, yep, surely, uh-huh, that'd be, that'd be fine and he said that was that was Kareem wanted right. him to know if he could sign some basketballs for an auction right. coming up and and so we went on with our conversations and about 15 or 20 minutes later look down there's a black Escalade coming down the alley Kareem steps out what he hadn't said coach was that he was on his way over right then right. brought all the basketballs like a machine coach signed every single one this perfect is perfect penmanship per- perfect nailed it knocked them all out and he came in, they greeted each other, they hug, kissed. At this point, Kareem had lost his father right. a few months earlier. So this truly was more than just a father figure. It was, it was, this was like his dad at that moment. And I just had one of those out-of-body experiences where I just looked and I said, greatest coach in the history of the game and maybe in any sport, right. as he was voted, and maybe arguably greatest player, leading scorer in the history of the sport, maybe the greatest player it's a pretty good day. It's
1: fantastic. It's and I'm day. just so happy to see how well Kareem is doing and the success that he's having. The impact he's it's, making. It's, it's, well, I think he's 71 years old now, and it's just phenomenal. His ability to communicate and to, to deliver the message of hope and optimism and joy and inclusion and purpose and all the things that I believe. Because yeah. you know, when I was growing up, Kareem he was he was one of my big heroes. I mean, my you know Bill Russell was my favorite player ever. And uh, on and off the court. And then Muhammad Ali is the incredible right. inf- impl- influence on all of us. Uh, but then Kareem right there. And Kareem is a huge reason why I went to UCLA. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, I wore number 33 in high school because of Kareem at Helix here in San Diego. And when I got to UCLA, Coach Wooden, you know, he was passing out the jerseys. And he, when I got to me, because we always had to be in alphabetical order. Yeah. And he got to me and he, and he said, well, what number are you? I said, I'm number 33, coach. And he looked at me and he said, that's been taken. You're number 32. And he, <laughs> be my judge. So he told you what your number oh, was going to yeah, be. he told me. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So, coach, the thing coach that would, think, Coach Wood thing...
1: never started anything with this statement he never started practice he never started a conversation he never started an event he never started anything that was like serious and needed attention he never started with this phrase so what do you guys want to do today
0: he was with, in charge. He was in charge. He came with a plan. Yeah. You know what I remember? Uh, I love a plans. Of, a George things.
1: Raveling's la- latest blog, Coaching for Success. The plan, Coaching for I I'm sure you read. It's it. tremendous. It's fantastic. Yeah. And every Saturday yeah. it comes out. Yeah. yeah. And I look forward to it. And, and But this for last week, a dream without a plan and a deadline is nothing but a wish.
0: Isn't that great stuff? That's great fantastic. stuff. I want to, so with Coach… I wanna do a blog. A I wanna do a,
1: I wanna do a podcast with George Ravel. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. He's gonna be he's gonna be one of my next guests. Right. Uh he's gonna be in class this fall, too. Oh, fantastic. And and Stan Morrison has already been there. Him. He's already been there. Yes, yes. Week We're one. We're only in August. We, How- week one. We've already been in school. Oh, okay. He was there the, he was the first night. I wanted him to help set what the What do tone.
1: you do? Or do you just you just organize the well, guest is speakers? The,
0: this is the second Half of the class, it's three and a half hours. Okay. I don't want to talk. I'm not going to talk for three and a half hours. I could come on, I I don't want Grateful Dead
1: do that off the top of I their could, hat Well, I,
0: I'm still up there, but I want <laughs> him to hear different voices. That's, That's I, oh, not, it's part I'm of the I'm
1: experience. Just teasing you, don't be so, so sensitive. Uh, no, come on, man. so, um, it's part of being on a team. You know, no, you question. Gotta, you know, no question, no question, being in Give a take. band, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. So, um,
0: the you should uh, see what
1: it's like being Larry Bird and Kevin McHale's t- Danny Ainge's teammates,
0: So, Coach, a couple other things that stand out. Um, At the end of the visits, I mean, sometimes they would be an hour. An hour turns into two or three or four hours. Right. At the end, when you're leaving the condo and walking up out of the driveway and towards your car, I would always look, and there he was in the window. Waving. waving. That (laughs) always will (laughs) stick out in my mind, the little wave. So Midwestern thanks for dropping by for the visit right
1: and then I would always draw the little bubble like in the cartoons what are the guys thinking while he's waving and coach and I would always think yeah coach is really thinking thank God he's leaving now <laughs> and leaving me alone so I can get on with my life here he made but it you was feel, so it was so fun
0: He made you feel so welcome. It and was, you just felt like you had always learned it was like and going to church. a better person
1: when you it was left. like going to the Grateful Dead concert. It was like going on tour with Bob Dylan or Neil Young or John Fogarty or Jimmy Cliff. Just that that when sense of exhilaration. Right. The sense of empowerment.
0: The sense of we can do anything. You had a, in you had more pep in your right. step when you left. Right. I asked him one day. He felt what good f- about the world. You did. Had- I asked him one day what his favorite restaurant was in LA and he made me guess and I guessed you know Chasen's and Lowry's I guess the ones that I thought Vips. might have been um, and finally he kept saying good guess no that's not it no no, no. I said okay coach the Valley Inn Valley Inn was, was, was a favorite yes but his very favorite was the chicken dinner restaurant at Knott's Berry Farm <laughs> <laughs> I thought, yes, how Coach Wooden is that? I said, when was the last time you were there? And he said, maybe five years ago. And I said, why aren't you going there? I think there every- Keith Erickson why- used to take me there the Why aren't you going a- there every every year? It's a long way it's away. Long way. So I made a point. At that moment, I said, I'm going to take you to the chicken dinner restaurant in Osprey Farm. So every year for probably the next five or six, I would get... 10 people, because the tables, the round tables only seated 10. I didn't want to have a long table where the person there didn't get the full effect of being with coach. And I'd pick him up, and I would invite friends, former students, current students sometimes, and we would meet and to watch him, the joy, when the fried chicken would come, (laughs) cherry rhubarb, the mashed potatoes. I love rhubarb. And you'd just see him licking his chops, Mm -hmm. and then take him down. A couple times I was driving along the freeway back to his place in Encino and I looked and we were in a conversation and I'll never forget one, one conversation we had where I asked him, I said, coach, I was at the game when Kareem scored 61 points, the record right. that still stands. He mm-hmm. dunked the ball to get to 61 as the buzzer sounded. It was about a 30 point win. It was a blowout. I went back to look at the box score. Cause I remember, yeah, I've got that play, box score. I keep 60, it in my
1: UCLA file,
0: but the 60 and 61st points, a dunk at the buzzer of a, 25 Curry. point blowout. Curry. So I, I felt like I know him well enough at this point. I said, I've just got to ask you this question. Just curious why, and I could tell as I started to say it, he kind of knew where I was going. Curry. Why was Kareem in the game, do you remember, at the end of a blowout? And he said, Jeff, I made a mistake. I was trying to send a message. This was Kareem's sophomore year, early in the conference season against Washington State. He said, I was trying to send a message to everybody with with what we had. And here I was going against a very good friend in Marv Harshman, Mm -hmm. and I shouldn't have done it. I made a mistake. I thought that was powerful for him to say that.
1: But Coach Wooden was intent on developing talent. And he had, the at this point of his career, he had the best talent. You know, Kareem is the best talent. And you can't just have Kareem go sit on the bench. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he, he... Kareem is there to establish himself as the greatest. And you know, he played all the time. Coach Wooden never took me out, never took Jamal out, never took Sidney Wicks out. We played the whole game. And no matter what the score was, you know, with two or three minutes to go, and it'd be a 50 or 60 point game, he would take us out. But if he just substituted by the score and 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 only played his top players, based on what the score was, then there's no way that Kareem would have established himself as the greatest college player ever. There's mm-hmm. no way that all his players would have been All-America's players because they they just would not have had the minutes and the opportunity to establish their dominance. And, but one of the great things about Coach Wooden was that you know, he, while he was all about the team, The team was built around the star players, Mm -hmm. and the star players they got the ball and they got everything, and that's what made the team win. And so, to this day, my belief of offense is give the ball to your best player every time down Mm -hmm. the court. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I mean, I remember early on when Coach wouldn't stop practice one day, which he really never did in four years practice just kept going this relentless wave machine but he stopped practice one day and he looked at us and and we were just getting started and he said okay we're UCLA our game is fast break in the open court anybody just get that ball and go and no one will ever say a word about you asserting yourself and attacking the rim in the basket but if it's a setup play and the other team is dug in defensively, and he took a step back and looked at all the 12 guys standing there, he said, if that defense is back and ready, if Bill Walton and Jamal Wilkes don't get the ball every single time, the rest of you guys are coming out. Yeah. Yeah. And Jamal and I just said, "Yeah, this is fantastic." And the rest of the guys just said, "Oh my God, what am I doing here? Yeah, our yeah. careers are
0: over." Well, I and I imagine this year, with speaking of the Lakers and LeBron, you put it in the hands of the Give best LeBron. in the league, I mean, and well, yeah. he loves to pass the ball, so right. he's going to get passion. it to the right.
1: He's a team player. He's you know he's perfect, and you know it's like when you know Luke had the privilege of, of coaching Steph Curry when he was two time MVP. And, you know, give the ball to Steph Curry. I mean, that's that's coaching.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, but you have to have the the qualities of human character and kindness and compassion and empathy as an individual of your star player. And when you you know when you talk to the greatest, when you talk to learn from, learn about the greatest players ever. They're always the nicest guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and Kareem is the hardest working guy in the world. I mean, every coach who ever had Kareem, every player, every teammate, it's just uh, this guy, the hardest working guy, never takes a day off, never takes a playoff, never takes anything
0: off. Not unlike LeBron or Kobe or Michael. It's interesting when you have that great talent, but you're also the hardest worker. That's the combination magic. Magic. Will to Oscar, and maybe that's why Austin. they were the greatest because right. they worked the hardest. Right. What a what and a message the, and tone and that sets ab- in practice. And the
1: ability to stay healthy, you know, right? Because NBA basketball is every bit as much durability as ability. You know, you I you, can't. You, you, you have to. You you, know, you have to be able to play all
0: before long. the players had any say so in the scheduling. Jerry oh. West oh. talked about one night having a Friday night game in LA at the Forum. Hmm a Saturday night game at Madison Square Garden oh. and a Sunday afternoon game at Boston Garden. Right. Now, when 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 New York City was and Madison Square Garden was still the Mecca, you'd want to be at your best and yet you played Friday night in LA and you got to play tomorrow afternoon in Boston. Right. I mean, and you're playing 82 but games. But things are a lot better now. A lot
1: better. Just but they don't get better unless you speak up, unless you change and when you speak about how we're going to change, yeah. you know, November sixth in the election and the participation. You got to be in the game. Right. And when twelve percent of millennials vote, twelve percent, and when over a hundred million people in America eligible to vote in the last election just chose not to show up or were turned away at the polls, that is unacceptable. You know.
0: I expect it to be a lot different the next time around.
1: We can only hope. Hope dies last, Judge Turkle. Um,
0: what are the what are the qualities that you think it takes to coach today? High school, college, pros, do you think it's not greatly different than it was when you were playing?
1: You have a lot of different factors that come into play that make it more difficult in that the young players are, uh, are not taught at an early age the value of coaching, the value of being a part of a team. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the sense of loyalty to your friends, to your teammates, to your coach, to your team, to your organization is is something that's not just a natural part of life and but when when I speak to young people about their chasing their dream and how to get to where they want to go I always talk to them about studying greatness and so you know you look at the great coaches today and Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich Shashevsky, mm-hmm. Calipari at the collegiate level, uh, Jay Wright at the collegiate level, and, and what they do and all those different things. So it, it's as we fight the, the the forces of evil that that promote selfishness, greed, individual agendas, all the things that tear things down and apart. I mean, those things they they get promoted, mm-hmm. uh, and and, and you know, there's this whole world out there that tells us all that matters is that I've got mine, and as long as I've got mine, everything is fine, and nothing could be further from the truth. And that's the challenge of the coach, and is to and, and Pat Riley and Phil Jackson just uh, master this. Greg Popovich, although uh, uh, Greg is a more low-key guy and, and uh, not, yeah as much in the in the spotlight as as he should be because he's such a great coach mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the ability to to continue to deliver the message the message never really changes but the vehicle to deliver it and and the story that it's attached to as to how you convince these guys to develop all the skills the tools the the work habits because you know success is the 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 continual repetition of developed good habits Mm -hmm. and you do it every single day And, and and then when the games happens when the performance when the red light comes on when you're on stage whatever it is that you're doing that just becomes normal because that is what you do all the time and coach wooden's four laws of learning demonstration imitation, correction repetition and that ability to to find new avenues and you know coach had so many different sayings but the the, the one is that when, when you're through learning you're truly through oh, yeah. And, yeah and so uh, the, the admiration and I respect and, and the admiration and respect that I have for these these coaches I keep talking about the same five or six and i, I always want to throw jay right in there. absolutely
0: you know? and, as, as and he belongs in that pantheon right. without question
1: and you know that that they never stop you know they're constantly reading they're constantly interviewing people they're constantly listening to speakers and and that ability to come up with a new direction you know the, the ideas, the goals remain the same, mm-hmm. but the delivery system.
0: I think they stay true, true, true to who they are right. all the way through. Right. Um, uh, I wish that Phil Jackson were still active, too. Right? I don't know if you remember, but when Tony LaRusso was speaking at oh, the California yes. Sports Hall of I Fame Tony, we, yeah. we went to. I love going to that event. That, that's terrific. I, and, and I know that you had a, uh, you know, a role to play in, in making sure that Stan was recognized. That's not and, true.
1: That's not true. Well, I, you don't get to the Hall of Fame unless you've made history, unless you've changed history. No, no question. Stan Morrison has done that. But,
0: but uh, you being an advocate, I think certainly was uh, something uh, on well, Stan's side, and Sta- that's great.
1: Stan Morrison is not a self-promoter. No, and people, no, not at all. Pe- people are not going to know about Stan Morrison unless others speak about them. Right. Right exactly.
0: Well that night was interesting among many things that I got out of that night. Tony La Russa said what a what a privilege and honor it was for him uh, as a coach or manager of the Oakland A's in the Bay Area getting his start being around other coaches in the area like Bill, Bill Walsh, Walsh, Sean Madden. Yeah. And if you remember he it's said a, a John the, the best coach of them all was Bob Ladisur, the longtime De La Salle football coach? Really? Built, I don't remember that part. Built <laughs> a an unbelievable powerhouse, as successful as any team, almost on any level, right. um, undefeated for years and years, a long, long winning streak. But he it was a it was a pretty simple system with not the greatest athletes, because they didn't send 15 guys every year right. to Division I schools. But he had a system in place. And I thought it was interesting that all the coaches Tony LaRussa had been around, he singled out a high school football coach and a low-key guy in in Concord, California, De La Salle, Bob Latisor, and I thought, wow, um, what a what a incredible testimony is to But the remarkable ability
1: of a coach, of a teacher, a leader, a parent to shine the light and to inspire confidence. All the coaches, that, I mean, I played for the best. Rocky, Gordon Nash, John Wooden, Lenny Wilkins, Jack Ramsey, Gene Shue, Paul Silas, Don Chaney, Denny Crumb, Casey Jones, Red Auerbach. Just phenomenal coaches. And those are just in basketball. Right. That doesn't even begin to include all the great mentors and leaders and friends that I had in broadcasting, who once I became the broadcaster, the most unlikely of any career choice, these guys would just come and and Dick Enberg and Charlie Jones and Pat O'Brien and Brent Musburger and Bob Costas and uh, Greg Gumbel and Tom Hammond and Ralph Lawler and all these just phenomenal Hall of Fame people, talent, skill, professionalism, and here they were helping little Billy. I I couldn't
0: help but think of Dick Enberg knowing that he lived in La Jolla. I had a chance to visit him in his home. Oh, what a magnificent What an incredible place. The door that was that his dream. Yes, the door that his wife brought had had, had the sent whole over thing. He brought the whole thing the whole, over. I mean, from incredible. And, and, and Dick was Dick was a guest in my class last fall. I was so honored to have him, and the things he said—five things to remember to do: Write, laugh, um, you know, be kind, be kind. Oh. You know, and he was so animated that. Night and 82 going on about 52. And then he was gone six weeks later after he was in my class. How does
1: the song go? The first days are the hardest days. Don't worry about it. But When life looks like Easy Street, there's danger at your door. What I want to know is, are you kind and will you come with me? The band. Here we go. Love that.
0: Did you get a chance to spend much time with Dick being here in San Diego? Absolutely.
1: So Dick Enberg. You know, he and Coach Wooden, they were the same person, basically. Yeah, and, yeah. and Dick was the, our broadcaster. Dick was, we were part of that generation that yeah. watched the 11 o'clock games yeah. when we were in high school with mm-hmm. Kareem. Must see television yeah. if you even had a television. I if you, was, if, I was if, watching if you had, a, you know, access to a television, which right. not everybody did in those days, and certainly not to cable television. And then Dick was our broadcaster, and then he was the broadcaster during the course of my playing career. And then, as the, when I became a broadcaster, I was paired with Dick, and so we we did. Just so many great things together. He, he was as important a person in my life as, as there's ever been.
0: And I, I, I love the way that he described. And he was so kind. So And kind. so nice.
1: And so patient. And so smart. I, oh, my I, I God. love the
0: way he described Coach Wooden. Uh, he said, and I said this about Stan Morrison in introducing him at the California Sports Hall of Fame event, a man of greatness and goodness. Because yeah. they're not one and the same. Well, greatness but also goodness. And Coach Wooden was absolutely that. I think Dick was that, and I believe Stan is that. Whenever I'm
1: talking to somebody who's having trouble in their own life, and they can't seem to be getting together, I just always say, hey, look, man, you've got to go and read Dick Enberg's book, oh my. Because, yes, the stories are important and, and fun and interesting of all the broadcasting moments, but The huge takeaway in Dick Enberg's "Oh My" is the relationship with his dad, and and how remarkable that was, and how you know Dick is the perfect storyteller, and these you know these these magnificent broadcasters uh, who you know who give up their lives so that other dreams can come true, and their ability to to sing the songs of life. And to tell the stories, and that was Dick Enberg, and the way he was able to weave throughout the entire book, oh my, that relationship with his dad, which was not a good one, right? And and then how at the end it just all came together, and so when Dick was when Dick was uh, out on his book tour, uh, he when when he went to each city, he asked one of his local friends who we basically worked with as a broadcaster to come and, and be the moderator for the book. And so I was the one here in San Diego. Oh. And it was on the same day that my dad died. And I didn't tell anybody because I, I had to do this thing with Dick. And so it was right down it was right down the street in Balboa Park here. And my dad just died a few miles from over this way. And it, my dad's death was not sudden. It was long term, uh, long time, and uh, very painful, very slow and agonizing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that morning at the hospital, my dad uh, died in my arms, and and then I came back. It was very sad, and very tragic, but it was the best thing because my dad's body just stopped working. Oh. It wasn't. It wasn't like it was a sudden thing that he went from great health and to right. awful in one second. And so and then I came back and I was moderating this panel over in Balboa Park for, for Dick Enberg. And, wow. and nobody knew.
0: What a day.
1: Yeah. And so, and so Dick is up there and he's just having the time of his life. And I'm teeing him up, right, with all the different stories because uh, I love this book. And then Dick all of a sudden just says, okay, that's it. Time's up. we got to go. And I said, wait a second. You can't. let everybody, everybody gave him a standing ovation because he was Dick Enberg and it was a fantastic sp- yeah. speech and, and performance. But then I said, but well, wait a second, because none of these people had read the book yet because it just came out. And I said, wait a second. And so I made him tell the story of his dad that he wove through the entire book and how his dad never loved him, he, or so Dick thought. And then how it came together at the end for Dick when Dick's dad moved in with right. Barbara and Dick in their home. And, and so while Dick is telling the story I moved back to the side and I'm just living this whole thing of my dad just passing and I'm just crying like crazy and mm. Dick looks back at me and he says what is wrong with you <laughs> <laughs>
0: Dick is an emotional guy too so he may not have thought it was that and then unusual. we came back
1: here and that later that night and we had we had a a big event here at the house uh, was something that Dick was very much involved with uh, where we had the Academic All-America Hall of Fame induction ceremony. We had it right here at the house. We had oh, lost wow. our main sponsor, so I yeah. I said, let's just do it at my house because I'm going to be in San Diego. and uh, So it was really, really nice. He had a big uh, big uh, dinner out in the tennis court. And there. at some
0: point that night, did you tell Dick no, about your dad? No, I never told him.
1: It wasn't that wasn't for me?
0: What a what a day! Yeah. What a day that was in a person's life.
1: Yeah. To well, go from but so uh, so and I, Jim Valvano
0: really kind of referred when he in his speech when he talked yeah. about the things you do in the course of a day: you laugh and cry and think right. and write. And it's you had one of those days.
1: So w- one of the things that I've learned over the course of my life of uh, a life of a lot of sadness, a lot of failure, a lot of mistakes is that when You're sitting there wallowing in the muck. The best medicine is to get back to work and to get going and don't just sit there and thinking about it. And then George Raveling, Coaching for Success, put it in perfect perspective. When you're afraid, when you're scared, that's what you're thinking. That's what you're feeling. Courage, bravery, that comes from action. That comes from doing things. So when you're up against it, just get back to work. Get involved. It's like when you're... It's like at the end of the Grateful Dead tour. When the tour is over and you know there's no more to go to until the next tour starts up, you're so super sad because it was just so fun and so happy and so joyful and so optimistic and everybody's having a great time. And then all of a sudden it's over and you're driving. Home or wherever you're going, and it's generally always foggy and gray Mm -hmm. on that last day, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you're just like, "Oh my God, it's over." I used to feel that way
0: leaving Bruce Springsteen's concerts, usually at Daily Sports. And and so you
1: just got it. You've look. You learn, and 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 this is you know Jerry West was so fantastic when he was. He would say, at the end of his career, he said, "You know you're, uh, you know you're in trouble when." your body will no longer cash the checks that your mind so freely writes. And so w- w- when you're in that spot and, you, you know, you, you just have to know, you know, you, you you learn over time, you know, how to deal with the failure, how to ter- try to turn it around and, and, and what your medicine is. And so like my medicine is... Participation in sports, whatever I can do. I'm very limited now mm-hmm. I'm 65. I had 37 orthopedic operations, and you know, a lot of things don't work anymore. But I can still ride my bike. I was going to say, can, what what I can, can you do? I can still, can I ride can your still bike. go to the pool, and I'm mm-hmm. still in the pool uh, every day, and then I'm in the weight room every day, and uh, every day, every day. Oh yeah, oh, we have a beautiful weight room here. Yeah, wow. beautiful. Yeah. Wow. And uh, and th- and then I ride my bike, and. We got uh, so so. A lot of this, co- this is classic bike riding season oh,
0: right yeah, now. Yeah, that's great. What a great area to bike in. Coach Travelling says um, Coach Travelling says when you wake up each morning, you've got two choices. You can be happy, hmm? or you can be very happy. <laughs> uh, th- those are as long as you, the right choices. Well, it's
1: as long as you know what it what it is that makes you happy. And you don't think that it's just all it just happens because of all these external forces. You know, so, you know, another one of Coach Wooden's fantastic maxims is: "Worry about the things in your control. You can control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And ignore the things that are out of your control. Right, and, uh, right. Yeah. Um, if I only knew then what I know now, but that's what's called life.
0: Yeah." One of the other ones that, that sticks out, believe it, it's not that well known, but I, I love what Coach says about he says there's the word overachiever. There's no such thing. How right. can you how can you achieve beyond your level of competency? And yet you grow up reading about this scrappy bunch of overachievers. We're all underachievers. How, yes. How can you overachieve? You if you did something you were capable of doing
1: it. Well, that's the beauty of being on a college campus. And I'm just so saddened by uh, the direction of too, too much of our world today that delegitimizes and devalues education and science and knowledge and the positive interactions and what you're doing with your class, what SC is doing, what everything is going on in the, in the Conference of Champions. How lucky am I? that I get to go and spend my days on all these different college right, campuses right. And, and all the fabulous things going on. Well, there. and you bring
0: so much yourself. You take uh, away and you share it with the audience, yeah. but you give so much. I saw you in my classroom that night, and it was magical. Just the passion and the Where's T.J. Simers when we need <laughs> him? Uh, but the, the, the takeaways are many um, when, when, when you're in the room. There's no question. I'm the um,
1: luckiest guy in the world, Jeff.
0: And that's the fact that you recognize that through all of the physical challenges and others challenges you've had to recognize that. That's to me the key to it all. Is that you 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 live that you experienced it. and well, my now life you is... look and say, look what I have, where I've been, and.
1: My life at the beginning was one of hope, optimism, opportunity, and purpose. Today, I still have all that, but I've also coupled pride, loyalty, and gratitude with that. Mm-hmm. Pride, the satisfaction with our choices. I've made a, long, a lot of wrong choices. None of them were intentionally wrong. It just turned out to be wrong. Right. And then uh, the loyalty... Where did Coach Wooden put that in the pyramid of success? The, the centerpiece of the foundation. Do you care? Right. And I'm lucky. I, I, mm-hmm. I do care. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I care about what happens. I care about what happens to other people. Yeah. And and, and the, the selfishness and greed and individualism. That, I, I, uh, that I watched you. I watched the
0: reaction to people in the room. When you were in Riverside, you you'd flown down from the Bay Area the night before. You were in oh yeah, Minnesota we did the Make Lake a Wish with deal with Stan Swish Morrison Madness. at the restaurant right next and, and to the you, Mission Inn. You made a point of making sure to be there for, for, for that event and to see the impact you had on the room. The people reacted to you, and that night at the California Sports Hall of Fame event, the reaction of people, how you touched them. How did that make you? How does that make you feel when you see the reaction to you? the joy people have in really? being able to spend a few minutes with Bill Walton.
1: It makes me feel lucky. It makes me feel happy to be a part of something that's so special. California, greatest place ever. San Diego, the, the greatest part of the greatest place ever. And little Billy is having this uh, remarkable life of, of good fortune because of the sacrifice and discipline of others, the people who have gone before us. And, You you look back and how USC has had such an incredible impact on my life, uh, you know, because of the way basketball is played. And that comes really back to Sam Barry. And -hmm. then guys like Tex Winter and Bill Sharman and Alex Hannum Mm -hmm. and. Boy. Bob Boyd. Oh, Bob Boyd! What a great coach he was! What a great human being! And then you know all the different people, and and how that continues on to this very day. And you know, and 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 the, the shining light, the beacon of hope on the horizon, that is Bill McMorrow and what he does in his everyday business dealings and leading our, our great Southern California community here, and it just an, an, an absolute an absolute treasure, and the fact that. I love to read. And you know, so that when, uh, you know, I, I read for a lot of different reasons. I read for fun, I read for inspiration, I read for education and for knowledge and uh,
0: you, you were a three-time academic All-American college. That, well, that's, so was Jamal Wilson, and so was Greg Lee. So that's really hard to do. I mean, I think what 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 Josh Rosen said last year that being a student athlete is like having two full-time jobs. I think it's. I think it
1: really is. And how many full-time jobs do you have? Ten. How many
0: did John Wooden
1: have? Thirty. Um, How about Stan Morrison? How much does he work? Yeah, Come on! Yeah.
0: But did you feel was it hard for you to no, balance academics and no, the was, demands of playing no, at I that like, level?
1: I like structure, yeah. and I love pressure. And do you feel that
0: pressure in the classroom too? Taking all the exams?
1: Time. Absolutely, I love that. You know, I love you know when I love it when they put the ball up. I love it when they announce the schedule. And they said this game starting at seven o'clock, or the Grateful Dead tour is starting at eight o'clock. Although they're a little bit late starters, but uh, I like starting on time, and and I love that pressure. And you know, so you know, one of the things that I'm uh, really big into is the 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 combination in your life of uh, choices, passion, purpose, and pressure, and to embrace that, to embrace uncertainty, to embrace the, the the entrepreneurial world of you don't know how this is going to play out, you don't know you know what tomorrow is going to bring, mm-hmm. but you know well, we have a chance. We have a chance to 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 participate, to play, mm-hmm. to, to, to be Get in, in, the, in the game, to be in the game. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and how many people? either don't have that chance or don't think they have that chance. And our job is to shine the light and say, hey, let's go. Well, you know, we're all in this together.
0: Who, who sh- shined the light for you in the classroom at UCLA? Was there a class, a subject? So many professors. I
1: changed my major every year, and I had four different majors. <laughs> uh, End uh, up history? Yeah. yeah. Started with engineering, then political science, then geography, and and, and then history. And, uh, I raced through, though, and I, I wish I had taken more time and, uh, and just enjoyed it. But the you know, I I wanted to go. You know, I'm I like speed. I like quickness. I like fast. And uh, but yeah. But bad things happen quickly. Good things take forever. And uh, all the different teachers. I mean, there there were. They, they were you know, I still have the fondest memories of my of my days at Helix and all the teachers that I was very close to there and, and my dad and his my dad would go into the principal's office just uh, this time of year, a week or so before school started, and he'd sit right down and said, okay now who are Billy's teachers going to be and what classes is, is he going to be in? And so the principal would pull out the Bill Walton file. And he'd go through it and my dad would say, nope, that's not right. He's not going to be in that class. That teacher doesn't have it. And I want him in this class and I want him in that class. And, wow. And my daddy. He Did you know
0: that? Guy. Did you know that he that he that he determined what? I found out.
1: I found out. And he, you know, he was a behind-the-scenes guy, my dad was. He was not a pushy guy, but he was uh, – firm and insistent on on who the teachers were going to be. Because he knew all the teachers. He was very involved with the school and Uh. very involved with the community. And so he would make sure that little Billy got the best teachers. And one thing I learned over the course of my life in education and really in everything is that it makes no difference what the subject is. It's how good the teachers are <laughs> because if the te- if the teachers are interesting, if they're passionate, they know what they're talking about, and they love to teach. That's how you're going to learn, <laughs> you know.
0: You, I think you're because, I think you're really on the mark on that
1: because you know w- what did Coach Wooden teach us how to do? He taught us how to learn, mm-hmm. and he taught us how to think, and he taught us how to compete. And when you can do those three things, you can do anything. And and the fact that i have now on my 18th incarnation of my life, having to start over 18 different times from nothing. And I can look back and say, you know, what I got from every step along the way, from elementary school, from my parents, from Rocky, from Chick, from John Wooden, from all the musical friends that I've gotten, all the heroes, you know, Bill Russell, Muhammad Ali, Sergeant Shriver, Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy, and uh, all these different people who, who gave me a chance to my piano teacher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: You know,
1: if I can do that, if I can learn how to speak, if I can learn how to be a broadcaster, I mean,
0: I can do anything. Let's mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine, you mentioned Martin Luther King, can you imagine, George Ravling, a young George Ravling of, oh, of a couple years out of Illinois standing on the podium three people away. Of, uh, six five, six feet away. And then having the presence after to ask right. Dr. King if he could have the notes. No, he didn't
1: ask. It, just, Dr. King left the notes on the podium. Well, he, and then George went and got them and took them up to Dr. King and said, Here you forgot these. And then Dr. Doc- and, and Dr. King looked back at the door and says I've already given that speech. I don't need those. Yeah, they're yours, and so George kept them and still has them to this day. Right.
0: Imagine though having the and you know I always go back and say you know but you talk about preparation. I have my four P's: um, passion, preparation, performance, and persistence. Of which I say the most valuable P, the MVP, is preparation. Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Give me the four P's again. Give me the passion, preparation, performance, and persistence, which sort of ties everything together. And I put them in that order because the passion helps fuel the preparation, which impacts the performance, and the persistence ties it together. Well, the lineal Coach,
1: nature of everything in life. Yeah. And it's not just isolated incidents. It is not just individuals. It's all about the team.
0: But, but, the, but Coach Raveling, having come down to D.C. with his best friend Warren Wilson from Delaware at the suggestion of Warren Wilson's dad, they got there the night before and were walking around the Lincoln Memorial area, just right. surveying the landscape. And that's when someone saw these George, good sized guy. Hey, you guys here for the for the uh, uh, event tomorrow? Yeah, they were. Yes. Uh, how would you like to? We, we, can you imagine today them grabbing somebody and say, "We need you to work security." So because of the so- George's size, they assign him to the podium. Hmm. But if he's not there early, the night before, that. he doesn't get that.
1: If you can't be early. Be on. If you can't be on time, be early. Right. Sorry.
0: So he, you know, that was just preparation. There was a life lesson, and just there, and then he came early the next morning. Gets assigned to the podium. and he Jeff, can't I got to be... go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're getting late okay. here. Okay. So, um, uh, I did want to ask you a couple more things. One, your your listed height was always six eleven. Right. You're not six eleven. You're seven. Tell me how. Tell I'm me how 6'11. tall
1: you are. I'm six eleven. I'm six eleven. Coach Wooden told me I was six eleven.
0: 72 is what it's, I the estimate. Would you say that's
1: every time I think I'm taller than 611 I go stand next to Kareem. He's 72. Every time I think I'm tall I go stand next to Yao Ming who's 713.
0: I remember it's, being It's at, not how big you are, it's how big you play. I remember being at Pauley the day that you and you and Kareem were honored and were there with yep. Coach Wood. And that's an in, enduring yep. image of me uh, of mine of seeing the two of you escorting Coach Wooden, that was that was amazing. Um, Jeff, I got to go. Okay, last one. Um, That season that everyone says may have been the greatest by any single player in terms of value to his team. Your year of helping the Blazers win the championship in '77 and extending over until you broke your foot, uh, well into the next year. Do you think that was Bill Walton at his finest during that year well, period?
1: That was a great team, that Blazer team. That was the vision of Jack Ramsey. You know, we had Jack Ramsey. We had Maurice Lucas. We had the fastest backcourt in the history of the NBA mm-hmm. and Lionel Hollins and Johnny Davis, and we had Bob Gross, who was like Jamal Wilkes and like Larry Bird in that they— Bob Gross made the team work and win, and I was just lucky to be a part of this remarkable group at a perfect time in a spectacularly beautiful place in Oregon with wonderful people, great, great fans, and I just wish that it had lasted forever, but uh, that was the story of my life. and But we're going back in a couple of weeks, Three weeks, actually, th- three and a half weeks from right now. We're going back to Oregon. We're going to do a 1,000-mile, 10-day bike ride through the wonder- through the natural scenic wonderland that is Oregon. And we're going to be on our bikes for 10 straight days. It's going to be just fantastic.
0: You And you look physically like you could handle the rigors of that trip
1: and well, then some. We'll find out. You know, you can talk all about it, <laughs> but, but until you get on that bike and until you say, okay, then there's 100 miles a day for 10 straight days, and uh, you know, who can ride their bike, you know, who's done the training, who's done the preparation. and uh, So I'm hoping, but it's, you know, it, it's like everything else, you know, when, when people ask me what's going to happen. How's it going to play out? Who's it going to win? I always look back at him and I say, it's a basketball game. It's a bike ride. It's life. Anything could happen. And it usually does.
0: Keep shining the light, Bill.
1: I'm trying. Keep shining the light. Thank you for being the light, Jeff. Thank you you for
0: your time today.
1: Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your passion, your vision, your compassion, your patience. But mostly, thank you from my life.
0: Hmm. Thank you.